0: Podcast
1: One production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years. Reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoag's to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, and beyond.
0: This is Aussies in Hollywood. So earlier this year I was sitting next to Paul Hogan at the Gaday USA Gala in LA, and I was trying to convince him to do this podcast. He's always been on my bucket list because Paul Hogan is obviously the original Aussie in Hollywood, but he was very reluctant and kept telling me he didn't do this stuff. I didn't give up and cut to a month later, I ended up sitting in his living room in his little home in Venice about a block from the Venice Beach boardwalk, which is hilarious given it's one of the number one tourist destinations for Australians. We got to chat about him hosting the Oscars, hanging out with Charles and Diana and Liz Taylor and whether or not the new Son of Dundee ad campaign could actually bring back Mick Dundee. So here's Paul. I'm so excited that you agreed to do this because everybody, everybody that has come here in the last 31 years since I've been here, they always talk about, you know, there was no Australian, you know, the first people that that came, I think, were you and Olivia Newton-John and Mel Gibson, right?
1: Um, Olivia was probably first. Yeah, uh, and then Mel. But Mel was an Australian when he got here. But he rapidly became an American because he is an American and he was born <laughs> in New York. So, and he became a superstar. So, they didn't always say, "Oh, he's Australian." Mel Gibson was just Mel Gibson, superstar. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, and the first Australian accent. ...that was heard in movies over here was Brian Brown. He did a couple of movies. He did a four or five movies where he was an Australian in it. Oh, yeah. So he was the pioneer of the language.
0: Well, I remember when the first time I saw Mad Max here in America on TV... ...it was dubbed.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I well, mean, I was totally they horrified. W- they <laughs> wanted to dub Dundee too. But no. We said no, no <laughs> way.
0: <laughs> Seriously? yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They just thought our accent was too hard to understand, which is rubbish.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it must have been a very strange experience when you first uh, when you first got here. At what point in this whole process was your first trip to America? I'd been once or
1: twice, low key stuff, but because um, my a cut up version of my television shows used to be on here in the uh, early eighties. Um, it was on like midnight, sort of. Coupled up with Benny Hill or something like that, and had a very small but loyal cult following. But I think the uh, then the tourism ads brought some attention to Australia, and then the Dundee follow-up sort of hit it on the head.
0: Right. Mm. So we'll we'll go back to the the beginning. I mean, there's a a lot. Everybody sort of knows the backstory that you you weren't you didn't grow up um, ambitiously deciding that you wanted to get into show business right so um what what was your upbringing like? how did you what was your opinion of of show business movies TV before you had anything uh, to do with it?
1: Never gave it much thought I only ever got into television and I was already grown up I was like thirty uh, and I went on a talent show with no intention or interest in winning it, it was just merely to take the Mickey out of it. And um, that plan backfired and it turned into a career.
0: Now, that was new faces, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, that was that. That was because you and your mates, when you were working on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, you you were annoyed with the way they were mean to the contestants? Yeah. Is that, tell me the story. Oh,
1: I thought it was cruel. It was, you know, it was so-called celebrities um, passing judgment on um, enthusiastic amateurs. And I thought it would be nice if just once one of the Christians jumped up and bit the nuts off the lines. So, and, you know, and, and talking about it at work was sort of someone said that phrase that I couldn't resist, someone should do it. And I said, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> and So I might have been the only person who went on a talent quest with no interest in winning it.
0: That made you irresistible really, right?
1: Uh, yeah, that I didn't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How old were you when that happened?
1: I think 30 30. Yeah, 31, something like that.
0: You knew you were funny but had you ever done any stand-up or... No, no. I was. You never didn't have an ambition to mine that humour in any way? No,
1: I hadn't been the sort of like wag around the campfire. I was always a smart aleck. I uh, would, would have been a great heckler uh, and very opinionated. But I didn't know everything that I thought was funny that most people did too. Because that's the, the thing about a comedy writer... If the majority agrees with what you think is funny, you're a successful comedy writer. And if they don't, you're just a lone rat bag. So. <laughs> Fortunately, what I thought was funny, so did um, a great deal of people. So,
0: And you did you grow up in a city or uh, in the country? Yeah.
1: no, I grew up in the city. You grew up in, in the, the city. In the western suburbs. I was a westie.
0: After New Faces, you got booked on some other shows from that, right? Because people found you sort of refreshing and... And amusing, right?
1: Yeah, well, I got on Current Affair. Mike Willisy sent uh, Tony Ward down to interview me because they thought it was novel that this guy on the talent show worked on the Harbour Bridge. So they come down and interviewed me under the bridge and I took the mickey out of them too. So Mike Willisy said, said, uh, we've been looking for a, a man on the street segment, you know, and we've tried actors with scripts and it hasn't really worked. Would you be interested? And, Said, show me the script. Said, and I said, uh, no, I can see why it didn't work. <laughs> and Willis, he thought, oh, he's a smart aleck, This will work. <laughs> so I used to come on Current Affair like uh, occasionally and give the man in the street opinion about what was happening in the
0: in the world. But that was where you met John Cornell, yeah. right? Well, he was. Was the, he the producer of? He was current? the
1: producer, and uh, it was him that sort of said that knew what to do with me and said, you know, he shouldn't be doing bits here and there, is everything you say what just comes to your head and you think of it, you write it down? I said, no, I just think of it. He said, well, start writing it down because you should have your own show and turned out he was right. He he saw more potential in me than I did and um, we shared a sense of humour so on we went and I was happily able to leave the bridge.
0: And what did your family make of it? Because you already had... A lot of you had had, your kids were not little, yeah, at the time, right? Four
1: kids then, slightly embarrassed, no doubt, but sort of uh, just went along with it. (laughs) And I liked the fact that I wasn't off going to work, I was always at home and available.
0: At what point, when you were doing the show, did you really feel this like this passion? Like,
1: oh, laughter did that, you Mm know, when you sort of a room full of people or you're on television and you think something's funny and you sprout it out and everybody laughs. You sort of think, oh, this is great. What a good job. I'm getting well paid and my job is to make people laugh, forget about their troubles and sort of it, – it occurred to me it was the perfect job. But I was still – somewhere in the back of my mind I was thinking I'm a rigger. <laughs> That's what I do for a living and someone's going to wake up and say, hey, you don't belong up here with us. <laughs> You're not an entertainer, you're a rigger. I sort of kept my uh, – my. Uh, I had scaffolded, rigger, crane driver tickets and union tickets. I kept all them for the first year or two. <laughs> really? <laughs> just in case, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you were quite willing to just say, oh, people are going to stop laughing at me at some point? Yeah. yeah. Or laughing with me, I should say. Yeah. And the show lasted for well, over ten years, right, yeah. on and off? Yeah. Different <laughs> versions of it?
1: Went like 11 years and was never – beaten in the ratings, undefeated for 11 years. So it was sort of, they hadn't got sick of me.
0: Well, I think we all grew up on a lot of the characters that you would start to do in on a recurring basis. You know, yeah. all those great, like Nigel and all those, mm-hmm. you know, Leo Wanker. Leo Wanker, a <laughs> legend. Did you have a favourite?
1: I love Leo. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was such a clown, <laughs> a fearless and full of... Self-aggrandisement.
0: The tourism commercial came towards the end of that, is that right? Yeah. So tell me about the timeline. You you, you didn't want to quit the show, you thought you would do it forever or were you always thinking oh, no, there's there going to be something else? I
1: was starting to think there might be something else uh, and then I went to England and I did a couple of shows in England and actually launched Channel 4 in England um, wow. which was a buzz to do, you know, taking comedy to ...to the UK as like Colston, Newcastle. And then I was doing the... um, I was doing Foster's ads in England. Of course, no one in Australia drinks Foster's. But but it was a huge success. And then John Brown, the Minister for Tourism... ...came and approached us about um, selling Australia to America. And um, I thought that was a good idea... ...and that was the launch of the Shrimp on the Barbie um, campaign... ...which was hugely successful... And actually it is in the Smithsonian Institute, that original ad. No. Yes, it is. Have you been yeah.
0: there to see it?
1: No, but it's in the um, media section. Wow. It was, it's in there as an example of effective advertising in the uh, 80s.
0: Now, I know... And
1: it's, and it's a shrimp. Uh, people say, uh, I should have been prawn, and <laughs> say to them, I wasn't selling Australia to you. You live here. <laughs> It's a shrimp in America.
0: Well, you didn't realise at the time you were going to spend the rest of your life hearing that line.
1: No. <laughs> I eventually it got replaced.
0: <laughs> With that's not a <laughs> knife? Yeah. <laughs> How did I know that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, a lot of people are, uh, think it's an urban myth but I'm pretty sure it's true. You didn't get paid to do the tourism commercial. No. I mean, people must have thought that was insane at the level of fame you had at that point. What What were you well, and John thinking when they came to you and
1: I was getting nicely rewarded by uh, Foster's; um, they were looking after me, and the idea to, uh, with, as with John Brown said, you know, to, to push it past Parliament virtually was a sort of one of the ways of demonstrating that it wasn't some wrought for me to get money out of advertising was to say, I won't charge you for it. As simple as that.
0: But it actually turned into the most brilliant thing you could have done because it introduced you to the American public in a huge way, right? I mean, your show had already been airing in America. A little
1: bit in in obscure places and like Midnight. And the tourism ads didn't go all over the country either. No? No. By travelling here and doing tourism promotion that the idea came to me for – For Dundee
0: So Talk a little bit about that How How did that come to you Like you You were over You were in America Promoting Australia
1: Yeah Where did
0: the germ of the idea come from Just you being It was going to be a sketch
1: (laughs) I was in New York And was sort of like Totally overwhelmed by the By the Size and the scope And everything of New York And I started in my head To write a sketch With Hoag's in New York And and then I thought, no, Hogs is, is urban and it should be someone from the bush and sort of – so I made up the character and I virtually wrote the uh, the American part of it before I got back to giving him a background. Wow. It was just – it was the attitude that I found or the curiosity people had to me when they were talking to me uh, and their view of Australia. And so I thought, well, I'll give him a, a romanticised – colourful view of typical Australian.
0: (laughs) And it was kind of probably you had the experience, and I had it a little less thanks to your film, but the Americans really were very ignorant about, uh, do you have kangaroos down the main street in town, you know?
1: Absolutely. You know, it was green on the map and it had kangaroos and a koala flew the planes. That was about it. And mm, some knew Olivia Newton, John.
0: So you went back to Australia and you told John about your idea? Was that what happened?
1: No, I wrote it first. Uh, it's sketch turned into like an hour and a half long and then I went back and said, I've got this idea for a movie and he immediately jumped on it and we knocked the screenplay into shape with uh, Ken Shady and uh, and John and uh, raised some money and made it.
0: Now when you say raise the money, like if you said that today, everyone would laugh at you because it's just not that – Easy. Yeah. I mean, you didn't think about – you didn't go to a studio or did they all turn you down?
1: No, uh, John went to, uh, to Kerry Packer first because we were, had been in business with Kerry right. for years on a handshake basis and Kerry thought, no, it wasn't a good idea. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> said, you know, you can't make money out of movies, you know, it's too risky and oh. Australian movies don't travel and all that. <laughs> and then uh, John put together a uh, – ...a packet and we had like friends and like about a third of the Australian cricket team put money up. Because at the time uh, World Series cricket was kicking off... ...and John was heavily involved in that and, and I knew quite a few of the cricketers personally.
0: So who were some of the famous cricketers that oh, invested Oh, Dennis in? Lilly.
1: <gasps> um, Chapels, uh, Rodney Marsh and sort of... ...there was about six of them that put up money. Um, they were well rewarded.
0: Wow. And I then, never heard that before. Yeah,
1: and word got around. And then a mate of mine who was a stockbroker in uh, Queensland got in touch with me and said, oh, I can raise the money. And sort of, if you want, how much do you want? And we said, How much we wanted, and it just rolled in. And so the, the, the people that invested got, I think, 1,200% <laughs> on their money. So. And I was one of them. I was one of the investors, so it was a good gamble. Wow. Um, Unprecedented and unlikely to ever happen again.
0: Yeah, because I remember the next time someone tried to do that, uh, it was Barry Humphreys trying to do it for the Les Patterson saves the world, which didn't do so well.
1: (laughs) That should come out again now and and it's sort of Les Patterson and sort of (laughs) draw lines with Donald Trump. Oh, that would be – I'd pay to see that one. So Les, which one's the classiest? (laughs)
0: Well, do we have to answer that one? <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> um, so, wow, that's amazing! I didn't realise that the cricket team and and all of those people were involved. So it was. So, what was the budget you had to raise for the first one?
1: Uh, six million US.
0: Wow. Okay, so it wasn't a small amount of money back then. That was no.
1: no it was a, it, it turned out it's the most successful independent film ever made. Yeah. Never mind Australian or not. Just from anywhere. Kerry Packer kicked himself.
0: <laughs> oh, I can, I can imagine, you know, there were people for years that would say, you know, I could have invested in that movie and I turned it down. I oh, know. Yeah, there were a lot. But. You probably had to resist yourself not gloating at people yeah, that I mean, had said no, no to you. You,
1: you understand they're like, Yeah. It was, it's <laughs> sailing in unprecedented waters. So
0: so which part of it did you film first, the part in America or Australia?
1: Oh, no, in Australia first. Yeah, yeah that's right, cause more it, of it was set I in… I wrote it backwards but we filmed it
0: forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It premiered, did they do a big premiere? What was the marketing push like for it in America?
1: Oh, no, well it didn't open huge and it, and it, it opened in um, the fall which was the burying ground in those days. Yeah. You know, the summer stuff was over and you throw the smaller movies that may or may not work into the fall. And it went out there and it opened at number one, which they were all excited about, and then second week and the third week. And the the fifth week it took more than it did, and it was still number one, than it did in the opening week and that was what they call lightning in a bottle. And um, then everyone became experts. But it did. It did a lot of unprecedented things.
0: And what was – where were you when that was happening in America? Were you back in Australia? No,
1: I was here. I was in New York with um, the head of distribution at Paramount, who had sort of never left my side, telling me, we just opened in Wyoming and it did, you know. (laughs) It was very exciting. It was sort of just to see it keep going and going and going.
0: So what was the moment where you realised this, Well, you weren't just happy that it had done okay, that this was, you know, getting into like phenomenon status?
1: Oh, when they, when Paramount started to get, Excited and flustered, and sort of like about the the third week or something like that, when it was was expected to do, you know, like 25 million, and they'd all break out the champagne and celebrate and pat themselves on the back, and it wouldn't go away; it just stayed there and kept going. That's when I thought, oh, this is this is really something good. And then the shock was then to find out it went for number one in oh Lebanon and Chile and um, Norway and all sorts of places.
0: Did you travel to any of them to promote it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I did the work. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And that must have been amazing because these were all other countries you'd probably never been to before. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, I got to see the world and sort of – and it worked everywhere.
0: So why do you think that is? Why do you think Mick Dundee worked in countries that you wouldn't have even thought of when you were making it?
1: I think it was easy to associate with him. One, he wasn't – He wasn't um, Robert Redford, and he was a simple sort of naive country guy, not stupid but naive. And he went into the big, biggest, scariest city in the world and sort of sailed through it. And I think, like a farmer in um, Lebanon, sort of (laughs) thought of himself the same way. He could sort of like he could handle that. It's hard to say.
0: I think that's important to point that out because he, the fact was he was smart and, you know, yeah. that that's what you could, you know, he 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 didn't just go into situations and be a dumb blonde about it, no, so to speak. No, no, he was
1: smart but he was also naive. Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm. How much of Paul Hogan's in McDundee?
1: Yeah, he started out as Hoag's in New York. So he was a countryfied version and sort of – and um, he had a lot of my – feelings and things like that, my sense of humour. But uh, I wouldn't be diving on the back of crocodiles and stabbing them in the head and doing stuff like that.
0: And I assume then that almost immediately Paramount said, well, we have to make a sequel.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was reluctant to. But really? Yeah, my son, my older son, helped talk me into it because he was really keen about it and we sort of, he sort of sold me the final line of but you can't leave Mick Dundee in New York. <laughs> He's got to come home. And said, uh, yeah. are So he and I worked on a on the second one.
0: That must have been um, really special to get to to work with your son on the screenplay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he had a a similar sense of humour to mine, and um, yeah, it was fun to work with.
0: And then um, you shot the second film, and even bigger success, right?
1: Oh no, it didn't do as much as the first one, but it still went number 1 all around yeah. the world, but it went out I in I don't
0: the know if any sequels ever really nah.
1: But it went out in the summer, so it made all its money really quickly and then got swamped in the the other big blockbusters, but it was still hugely successful.
0: Yeah. And when did you have your health challenge? Was it in between the two films or uh,
1: yeah, it was. It was a
0: cerebral hemorrhage. A cerebral right? hemorrhage.
1: Yeah, that was when the first one was about to be released.
0: Oh, my God. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Well, that there's was good weird. timing. Yeah. <laughs> Were you lying there going, yeah, just my luck? <laughs> no.
1: no, and it just was such in such pain that I didn't really care what was going on. And it didn't last long. and went away. It was a uh, apparently a defect in my brain and a blood vessel burst, but it, Lucky me, it burst in the back of my brain where I don't use it. <laughs> so it didn't do any lasting harm and uh, it should never recur and it hasn't, you
0: know. Wow. The gold, you won a Golden Globe. Do you remember that night? Were you there?
1: No, I didn't go. You
0: didn't
1: go? <laughs> no. I'm not much of an awards person. No. Uh,
0: but then you wound up hosting the Oscars as well as being nominated. Yeah, that
1: was cool. And that was – also it was, couldn't possibly happen anymore. I didn't have to rehearse – and I didn't have to have a script or anything up on the auto cue because the producer then was Samuel Goldwyn Junior, part of the Goldwyn family. And he'd seen Hogers, as he was calling me, on television. He said, Oh no, he's a funny guy, he'll be all right, don't worry about it. So there was no auto cue. There was no and they all had auto cue, you know, the sort of people looking at me like I was a freak. And following me around, Dustin Hoffman and um, Don Veloise, he isn't he he didn't have anything written down. <laughs> as I said, it was funny, but I've never been invited back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you were co-hosting, right? It was Goldie Hawn and Chevy yeah, Chase as well. Yeah. What did that mean? Just the three of you came out at different points, or were you together? No, most
1: of the I did the opening. Uh, you know, the standard come out, and you do five or ten minutes and introduce uh, the night and give you do your bit. And I didn't took the Mickey out of it terribly.
0: Yeah, I, I saw clips of it and you uh, you kind of pointed out to everyone that things weren't going to be pretty if you didn't win yeah. you'd come the longest way. Among other things, right? yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and t- telling them how to conduct themselves to try and make the show more entertaining. <laughs> but it worked well. You know, got laughs in all the right places. Yeah.
0: Did you look out in the audience that night and see people that you couldn't imagine that you would be yeah. in a room with? Yeah. What were some mm. of those moments?
1: Oh, it was just sort of like, this is surreal but I can't let it distract me, you know. I'm speaking on behalf of the home viewer about what's boring, about the show and what's wrong with it, and I've got to get all that out. So it was surreal. I and mean, Dustin Hoffman taking me around to meet Liz Taylor. What? <laughs> yeah. And God. I was sort of like, what?
0: And so she <laughs> knew who you were.
1: Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she invited me to her charity ball and I was her guest.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah, that was all sort of surreal. But yeah, but don't forget I... Sat through Crocodile Dundee 2 later uh, with Prince Charles on one side of me and Princess Diana on the other. So, you know, if you talk about surreal experiences, uh, it's hard to talk.
0: What were the conversations like with them after the film?
1: Oh, we, we all had uh, dinner after that, yeah. They were talking about um, what a drag that the paparazzi was for them. <laughs> <laughs> but they sat there and enjoyed the movie, so they laughed in all the right places and... Elbowed me, and I thought, was, <laughs> Here I am with my royal friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. It was surreal. So it must have been like a big roller coaster for a while there that one situation you'd think, I'll never top this, and then there'd be another one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've had a ridiculous life. That's just sort of when you think about it.
0: So you've always been really nice to people that recognize you. Um, I mean, obviously, that's just your nature, and because you weren't famous. Early and you. Oh, you that's know what a big like. help
1: to be in the real world before, you know. Yeah. S- see so many kids now that they hit fame at their teens and they sort of start to believe they're a superhuman or some incredible magic creature and they're not, they're just lucky. Um, and I think living in the real world first uh, gave me that advantage of sort of saying, don't start thinking you're something special and that you float above the earth, you don't. You yeah. Know.
0: Yeah. Um, but then you had to, you had to be, um, what's the word, gracious when people, you know, I don't know how many thousand would come to you and recognise you by saying the same yeah. thing over and over again and you would graciously pretend that nobody else had ever thought of that yeah, line before, Yeah, but of course right? you
1: do. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's their moment. Yeah. They come up to you and say, that's not a knife, that's not a knife. <laughs> and then they tell their friends and, you know, that's terrific. <laughs> that I think I've thought of a line and wrote it down and used it and it went into the language, you know. That's and sort it of is. Anglers. It's
0: pretty much the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, the new Son of Dundee campaign, it's, you know.
1: Yeah. There are <laughs> those
0: iconic moments that they put in there because they know that the whole world knows yeah. those moments, right? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I came to America right after Crocodile Dundee came out. Right. Um and I was actually working for Phyllis Diller, the comedian. I don't know oh, if you yeah. remember her. I was yeah. her personal assistant for years. No, I do years.
1: remember Phyllis. I met
0: her at the Logies when I was a journalist oh, for TV right. Week and oh, she cool. brought me over here. So that was my, my incredibly lucky, amazing start. And then I came back, fell back into journalism after working for her for a few mm. years. But I never met hardly another Australian those first, you know, three or four yeah. years I was here. And um, people were – all I had to do was go into a bar and loudly order a drink. And everybody in the bar would quote Crocodile Dundee to me and would then start saying, "And is it true you have, you know, kangaroos? And I'd say, oh, yeah, I get a kangaroo to school in the morning. Oh, yeah. And they believed every line, right? I'd look at them waiting for them to start laughing and realise, oh, my God, they're buying this. They're buying it. (laughs) So you really uh, coloured the, you know, what, Everybody thought of Australia for a long time. Yes,
1: and, and a lot of people were upset about that. A lot of um, uh, solicitors and stockbrokers and hedge fund managers and sort of were annoyed at that image thinking we're all who – but when they got over here, they played it to the hilt. Oh,
0: I, I thank you for all the free drinks yeah, I got. <laughs> to say, we
1: are wild and colourful people, you know. <laughs> we're not just regular folks. <laughs>
0: yeah. And to this day, I think, you know, the accent is still – Part of the reason why people love our accent so much is…
1: Yeah, and it was sort of like ashamed and shuddered at home. You know, I know there was even when the tourist ads that the powers that be didn't want me to do the ads because of this horrible accent. And it was only Bob Hawke who said, you know, what's wrong with his bloody accent? (laughs) That turned the final sort of, oh, well, go ahead. (laughs) And it's, I don't know how many times over here that, People have said they love the accent or it's charming you know, mm. and it's It was only shuddery at home <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well when you have uh, Now
1: we've got all these Every second person your superstar is, a, is an Aussie They're watching shows and they're sort of like We knew about Hugh and Chris and, and so many others and Nicole and Naomi and Not to mention Margot Robbie who was sensational? Mm. But it was something like what Hawaii Five O, the guy on that. I didn't know name in Australia. Salon.
0: Yeah, and most of them are. You know, when you talk about their early days, they look at you, and they say, "You know, you you did it." And and I think that that opened. Yeah,
1: I think they look at me and say, "Well, he did it, and he's not very talented, <laughs> so so there's no reason we can't do it." <laughs> I haven't set an impossibly high bar, you know. <laughs> um, not exactly a legendary actor.
0: <laughs> well, but I also think it was because prior to that um, you had to be an American. You know, you, yeah. if you were Australian, you could only get work yeah. if you changed yeah. your accent and, and you pretended to be. To be. Anthony LaPaglia was here not long oh, after no, you yeah. and he had to yeah. completely lose. Well, the two
1: brothers. Yeah, and they yeah. sort of – nobody knew they were Australian.
0: Uh, he had to lie in auditions about where he was from because yeah. he didn't want to go into that whole, oh, I heard a little bit of your accent.
1: Yeah. No, and if you don't tell them in advance, they don't hear it. So.
0: No, that's true. No. So you you had two of the biggest movies, you know, back to back. So I assume then everybody thought of you more as an actor than uh, a comedian or a comic actor. Yeah. Mm. And so were were you in that system where you were getting lots of scripts and yep. lots of offers? And yep. what did you decide? You you know, I how did you decide to handle it?
1: I. Never set out to be an actor anyway. Comedy was what I loved doing, and and doing my own thing. I got spoiled because I, I'd had ten, twelve years in Australia of doing my own material and doing what I thought was funny, and uh, that spoils you. So that you, you know, other people's scripts, I you know, don't get excited about. And I didn't want to be a, an actor, and I passed on all, all everything that came, mostly because it wasn't funny. And I went ahead and I made. Um, uh, the next movie i wrote was almost an angel and i wanted to do that of course that was come out of my head and um it, it was okay but it wasn't a, nothing like a huge hit or anything and then uh, i always wanted to do a western so i wrote um,
0: lightning, jack. lightning
1: jack and cast cuba in it he's a great kid and um and just had the time of life doing it it um, wasn't didn't do it for the money or, the sort of, or to be uh, win an Oscar or something because I'm not much of an actor. I mean, my friend Gary Oldman's an actor <laughs> and, and he's a good actor and I wouldn't even aspire to do the stuff he does.
0: I heard that you turned down Ghost. Was that true?
1: Yeah, that's one of the most famous ones that I turned down, yeah.
0: Was yeah. it because it was not? I didn't
1: think it was funny enough.
0: Because it wasn't a comedy. No. I mean, so you you decided you would only do films that were funny.
1: Oh, i only do what,
0: what, what, what you,
1: really appealed to me yeah. or sort of or at the time or whatever. It's, I, I never wanted to be, a you know, an actor or a movie star. I wanted to do comedy. And I'd had quite considerable success doing what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. so, you know, why change?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure Ghosts would have been the same movie if it wasn't something you were passionate about doing. No,
1: no. Oh, it was a good movie, and it was a and great movie. Patrick was terrific in it, and, and yeah. the funny part is that Patrick was going to be in my movie um, when it was put together. And he said, "Yeah, I'd love to have a look at it." That sort of, and then he he uh, <coughs> he took Ghost because he called me and said, "You know, um, they've made me an offer I can't refuse, so I won't be able to do your movie." And I said, "What is it?" And he said, "It's Ghost." <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, I don't know how it would have worked with me in it but, but I wasn't that interested because I didn't think it was funny And I thought it was supposed to be funny
0: Well, I think, yeah, Whoopi was probably the only funny part yeah, of it Yeah, they
1: put her in to
0: Yeah, you're right To yeah. lighten it up a bit here yeah. and there, yeah
1: Because it was one of the Zucker brothers Yes And they had done, Jerry. you know, wacky comedies So I'm when I read that script, I'm looking at it as a wacky comedy And I thought, no, not very funny but, you know, no regrets, and some sort of.
0: No, well, I can't imagine. I mean, you—you'd already.
1: It was a lovely movie, and I might have ruined it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember we did press. I remember I—I I met you when you did a big press conference in New York for Crocodile Dundee Two. Mm. Um, there was an Aussie guy running international publicity at Paramount called John Wrench. Okay. And uh and then after that I think I was on the set of Flipper and Lightning Jack mm-hmm. and To
1: be quite honest with Flipper I did it because it was ten weeks in the Bahamas and swimming with dolphins and all <laughs> that'll be fun.
0: <laughs> and you and you know, Elijah Woods, uh, you know, turned Elijah out to be was a the great kid, yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely kid. lovely guy.
1: And he was like fourteen or something when we did it. He was a nice kid. No, it was terrific fun.
0: You've gone back to your roots of comedy. Since then, right? You, you'd done some tours. Oh, I did
1: a couple of tours around Australia. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. How was that? Oh, it was fabulous. I loved every minute of it. Um, and it was easier because it was just talking about my life and the weird things and the, uh, that, that happened in it that were funny. And it's was so lovely to sit up with, a, you know, a thousand people in a room and make them laugh. That's what it's all about.
0: You know, what we were talking about before was uh, that um, there are just so many Australians now that we didn't even know were Australian, you yeah. know, like Travis Fimmel and all those people. Um, people are always saying to me, what's in the water over there and how do you explain it? Do you have any theory about why 30 years later we can't even keep track of how many of them there are when 30 years ago that was just never going to happen? It's all
1: like, you know, they get they go on home and away or something, and or well, neighbours, and then they... That's their entire sort of background. I don't know. It, I, I don't know what it is. There's some, uh, there must be some sort of reality, I think, to uh, to Australians, because that's a lot like you. You've met Chris Hemsworth and Hugh yeah. Jackman, terrific people. Yeah, not full of themselves, not putting on airs and graces, um, and that sort of comes through. I think, even though they're watching Thor, and who's a you know, a god uh, with magic powers and everything. Somehow there's a reality about that, the person that's doing it and that sort of adds to them.
0: Just like Wolverine.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can't have – no one knows why but I just know it's happening and I'm (laughs) thrilled to see it.
0: I think um, some people have sort of theorised that they feel it's um, that Aussie – that they're hard workers. That there's a there's a work ethic. Um, I've heard a lot of directors who've said that they prefer to cast English or Australian actors because they know they'll show up on time. There won't be any antics. They work hard. Yeah. I think because when they were on shows like Neighbours or Home and Away, you know, again, you don't get to have you don't get to skip to the front of the lunch no, line. No. You don't. You get told, hey, pick up one of the prop. You know, one of the yeah. microphone stands and carry it to the next set. Right?
1: Because it's so little happening there in that business, there are limited opportunities so that when you get the opportunity, you make the most of it, you know, you, you do the work and you turn up and you don't be a pain in the ass to everyone because, you know, you're pleased to get the job mm. and and that sort of stays with you, I think.
0: What do you think about the industry back home these days? I know you're friends with Shane Jacobson and yeah. you, you went back and did Strange Bedfellows, which was hilarious.
1: Oh, and I loved doing it. It was like Dean Murphy, who who I one of my proteges, who was got a brilliant dry Australian sense of humour, and Shane's terrific, and I just loved doing that movie. I didn't think it's going to be uh, up for an Oscar, or it's even going to travel outside Australia much, but it was just uh, just fun to do, you know, and with fun people, I had a great time.
0: How long have you lived in the United States?
1: Back and forwards since. Uh, or the Late '80s or something. Yeah. More time here than there. I moved back home, go back home a lot, and I moved back there for three or four years in the uh, when was that? Early, late '90s, early 2000 or something, and then moved back here. And so now I've got this American son, so <laughs> who has all his friends here and his music here, and uh, is reluctant to move. That, you know. So you would move if it was oh, just you? Yeah. For sure? Absolutely.
0: So the reason you've been here so long is just circumstances of family and yeah. And, yeah. and all of that. It yeah. wasn't – so you still always feel in your heart that that's you know, where you want to be? Oh, and I'll be back there, yeah.
1: And I'll just um, – I'll get there.
0: you <laughs> just got to get him a job in Australia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's he into? Music. Ah. Uh,
1: he, oh, write, you he writes songs.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. I love that you you bravely live, uh, we won't say where, but a block from uh, the Venice boardwalk. Yeah. I can't imagine today that if you went down there, which you must do often, that you wouldn't be recognised. No, I'm not. No. No, really? No, no. Because it's the biggest tourism attraction in America for all the Australians especially.
1: Mm. Oh, no, no, it's just – Put on my sunglasses and sort of shuffle along with my head down. No one. I do get sprung occasionally, but mostly no. By Australians
0: no. or Americans?
1: Both. Depends. Yeah. If I open my mouth and talk, yeah. sometimes that's a bit of a trap.
0: <laughs> but at least <laughs> but you're not wearing in a Kubra hat or anything. Uh, no, no. So no, it's not I'm like, not, you know.
1: No, I'm not. I don't, don't go down there in the Dundee outfit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I remember you shot you shot the third Dundee um, around that area too, didn't you?
1: I'm trying to remember.
0: <laughs> As I remember… Oh, I, yeah, we did. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, we did on the…
0: Because I remember the young kid that was in it, uh, on George Ligis' son.
1: Yeah, yeah, the third one was sort of like… Uh, I got talked into it you know, but um, was never enthusiastic because I never wrote it originally. I had to rewrite the, the story desperately trying to make it work and it turned out okay but I think that the audience was not there for it, you know. Mm. I think it, trying to dig something up 20-odd years later, it's sort of – I don't think there's one for now either, you
0: know. So you, you, you've you heard everybody talk about Son of Dundee and – Yeah.
1: No, I know it would be lovely with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Couldn't do, do better for a son of Dundee, could you? But <laughs> <laughs> I, I just – I'm not sure there's another one in it. I know that I've been approached by – agencies and the studios and some independent producers, suddenly a rush of them to do another one. But I'm not sure there's one another one in it.
0: Would Chris do it? Did you did you talk to him about it?
1: Oh, yeah. Chris is interested. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: Well, you'd have to fight Hugh Jackman for it, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so TV being so big now in the golden age, you wouldn't think about writing a TV show getting back to work there? Or is that just oh. too much work?
1: No, I found it. Long time ago, when I started doing television, that the good stuff always comes straight out. When I was putting the sketches together, and I'd have to write a dozen for every show at least, um, the ones that just came pouring out of my head were always working, were always funny. And the ones, the more I had to labour over them, the less they, uh, the less they were. So it's the same with the movie thing. I think it's sort of like, oh, this is a good idea, and it all pours out. That's going to work. If you've got to sort of work at it. I'm like the third Dundee and you've got to sort of try and make it work And eh, it's never as good
0: Any regrets? What about? Career? No Nothing?
1: No No, <laughs> none at all
0: Well that's pretty amazing too If I
1: had regrets, a giant hand should come down out of the sky And smack <laughs> me to the ground and say, what do you want?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no, I'm just, just being extraordinarily lucky Luckiest man on the planet
0: well, I hope we get to see you in something soon. Sounds like you're, you're not giving up yet.
1: No, not yet. No. But don't care.
0: <laughs> yeah. And seeing you at G'day is lovely because it feels like you're part of that circle of the beginning yeah, and going I, all the way through to the new... I invented the word. <laughs> <laughs> G'day, yeah.
1: I didn't start. I can't take credit for the G'day USA thing. But, but I take credit for the word. <laughs>
0: Mm. And then, so you're the original at there at g'day. You and Olivia, yeah, and sometimes Mel and and then we and then you get and, you get to meet the the Margot Robbies and the yeah. Yeah, it's Luke Hemsworths.
1: Yep, all the newies.
0: So you're the one that says welcome. Well, what's the word for goodbye so we can say that? There's no there's no equivalent to g'day for goodbye. No, I see ya. <laughs> see ya. There you go. See ya, Paul. Thank you so much for doing Aussies in Hollywood. It was really lovely after all these years of knowing you to, you know, hear you tell your story. You've inspired so many people and you're so loved and it's oh. great to hear it all.
1: It's nice. <laughs> it's true. Probably, probably hated in some circles too, but, you know, oh, who right cares? You. Oh, Here comes your my dog,
0: Henry. Oh, hello, hello Henry. Hello, Henry. Oh. Henry. Oh. All right. Well, thanks very much. <laughs> so shortly after we talked it was announced that Paul's returning to Australia to film a new movie called The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee. It's obviously not the Mick Dundee reappearance that we were all hoping for after the ad campaign, but it's a movie directed by his protege Dean Murphy in which he plays a version of himself on the brink of a knighthood who's told to behave himself and, of course, things go hilariously wrong. It will be Hoag's first major acting role in 10 years and another chapter in a story that's not over by a long shot. That's it until next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood is presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer is Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the app or search for Aussies in Hollywood on iTunes.